The Energy Matters to You podcast is a communication platform that features technologies and thought leaders working to advance energy efficiency. Energy Matters to You seeks to connect buyers with sellers so that practical, cost-effective energy efficiency and sustainable energy solutions continue to gain market traction. And now your hosts, Ron Galuli and Leo Ryan. Hello and welcome to Energy Matters to You. This is Leo Ryan here. Unfortunately, my colleague Ron Gooley is not going to join us today, but uh, we've got plenty of good things to talk about. We miss Ron. Like, like uh, look forward to having him back. Just a quick shout out to the uh, New England chapter of AWE for an outstanding annual energy outlook uh, hosted by Raytheon and Dave Chamberlain. A great, great event. We had uh, Kathy Stanley and Rich Costello presenting brilliant uh, to hear them to hear them speak and i uh, just want to thank awe for all the work they do that getting that community together people that are really doing important work around energy efficiency and grid transformation so shout out to them to, to john ma in particular for his leadership in the president position got a great guest with us today we have scott Graybeal from calyx scott welcome to energy matters to you well thank you very much leo pleasure to be here today I had a chance to spend some time on the website. We're going to talk in detail about the company, Calyx, but I want to know a little bit about your journey. What, uh, what uh, has motivated you and educated you and got you to this position? Well, I started off my career as a Navy nuclear submarine officer, and that's when I first got involved in energy. And my background prior to that was in chemistry and working in chemistry labs. And I made a transition when I left the Navy to get into the semiconductor world. And then an opportunity came up to start something new. And what was to get into solar. And it combined my background in like material science and chemistry and engineering and understanding power systems and apply it in a new career path. So I've been in solar for about, this will be my 16th anniversary this year. And started off working on variety of technologies. First was thin film silicon, and then other thin film technologies like SIGs, and eventually into crystalline silicon. Um, I had the pleasure of leading the energy business at Flex, which was formerly known as Flextronics, and drove a number of acquisitions while I was there, the largest of which was a company called Next Tracker, which is now a publicly traded company, and helping to shepherd that business along, along with Dan Sugar, who was a fantastic person to work with. Um, and since then, I've been more in the startup ecosystem and, and really working with the challenge of taking these companies that have fantastic innovations and finding the best pathway to scale them. And that's something that we're doing every day at Flex or here at Kalux, excuse me. Um, so Kalux has really been a, in, on, a, on a great journey. Uh, we've grown significantly since I took over three years ago. We're about eight employees. We're about 70 people now in the LA metro area. And uh, we are the largest factory of its kind in the Western world, which we're very uh, proud of. And, but we take that as more of a challenge because a lot is riding on the company to ensure that we can scale this uh, innovative new approach to solar. We're going to talk deeply about that innovative new approach. But uh, Scott, given that uh, you've got this 16 years directly in the solar industry, and I heard you on another podcast talk about the, the solar coaster, the ups and downs in the solar industry in particular. Can you give us your perspective on um, on how the, the health of the solar industry in particular at this moment? How does the, the current day look and, and what do we expect near, mid and long term for solar? Well, I think that and I'll talk a little bit about the solar coaster as maybe the foundation for the conversation there. I mean, there are ups and downs in any industry. 
And uh, in the solar industry, there are a lot of drivers. One is the international landscape and trade regulation. And the second piece is regulatory. And like any energy business, regulations involved. And when you have favorable regulation, you tend to see upswings in the industry and sometimes mismatches in supply and demand. And we've seen a number of times in this industry where there's excess supply and for one reason or another, demand constraints, and that could be regulatory. And for the most part, it generally is. If we had a fairly even regulatory environment globally, I think supply and demand would be reasonably well matched. But because of this mismatch, you tend to see these boom-bust cycles. I would look at the market from an international standpoint is quite healthy, but I would say we're very much in an oversupply situation of traditional crystalline silicon modules. And those are the modules that we call, or panels as, as more uh, colloquially referred to, but the panels, if you will, there's lots of them out there today. And they're because of one reason or another, there've been challenges in absorbing that capacity. In the US, we have some stern regulations regarding forced labor content, which is a problem for a lot of solar manufacturers. And so that has caused a bit of an irregularity. We also have incoming tariffs in a number of geographies, not just the US, and that tends to cause these perturbations. I would say the long-term outlook for solar is extremely bright, uh, no pun intended there. We really look at a future where solar is going to become a very, very important part of the overall energy mix and a larger fraction of energy generation globally. Um, but it's one of many solutions. Um, we're a part of a broader ecosystem of energy generation, but a vibrant and vital one. And what we see in the U.S. today through things like the Inflation Reduction Act, which is an incredibly important piece of legislation, it's finally an industrial policy that aligns with policies that have been more focused on demand or creating power projects. IRA has enabled local manufacturing, domestic manufacturing to support the growing needs of the U.S. solar industry and also to establish the U.S. as an exporter of solar products. And um, we are a participant and a recipient of that attention and that focus, and that's what's fueling our U.S. expansion plans. And so from that standpoint, I think it's a very, very bright future for solar. Um, we will continue to see growth and expansion in the U.S., India, China, of course, which is the largest solar market, but not one that we really focus on. Um, and other markets are South America is going to become a very large market. Australia is becoming a very large market. The EU will continue to invest in solar. And as we look at 2030, then we'll start really thinking, I think, a lot more seriously about what's it take for electrification in Africa. So um, I, I'm a big fan of this industry. I've been in it quite a, quite a while now. And I think it's going to continue to accelerate. Yeah, I think anybody, support. anyone listening would, would agree that uh, solar's future is quite bright. And when you think about the challenges that the generation of electricity faces, we've got a certain uh, fleet of power plants coming offline because they don't meet uh, carbon reduction targets or they're, they're just aging. And solar as a technology is e relatively easy to deploy and um, super cost competitive. So, Scott, you mentioned that's a great overview about the international landscape and some of the challenges related to the manufacturing of product. But Talux is doing something very different at a fundamental level. Now, it's my understanding that the photovoltaic technology has kind of been stagnant over 15, 20, 30 years, that we haven't really achieved any great increases in the efficiency per square foot on a panel. 
And talk to us a little bit about the technology, the uniqueness of Kalux and, 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 and why this is could be potentially a game changing to the solar marketplace. Yeah, absolutely. And that is the, the entering point is that there really hasn't been a big shift in this monolithic approach to solar. There's been incremental increases in efficiency, but not to the extent that really we should have seen. So uh, Kalux has is, is been around since 2014, and, and the intent of the company was to find ways to improve the performance of crystalline silicon solar modules. Ultimately, the approach that we have taken, and we made a shift about seven years ago, was to look at this emerging field of perovskite technologies. And perovskites were first documented, I think, in 2009. It was like an outcropping of the organic PD industry, which was very small, very nascent. That still has some important applications, but not necessarily at the scale that we're talking about to address terrestrial PV deployment. But perovskites are a special class of nanomaterials that when processed under certain conditions make very low cost, yet powerful, powerful solar cells. And um, our approach is to consign glass. That means we're borrowing glass from module or panel manufacturers and coating that glass with a less than one micron thick layer of this perovskite nanomaterial system, which is a stack of various materials, by the way. And then our customers use that glass like they would any other clear glass for a solar module, except this glass is now another set of solar cells. And they're connected electrically inside the module. Um, and they're connected electrically in parallel where voltages are matched. So we're not doing current matching. And that's a big difference. Current match technologies have some real limitations because if you have a poorly performing part of the cell, then your whole module is really going to default to that lower performance. And so what we do is what's called four terminal. So we have two, as one of my friend John Banana will say, two generators in one panel. So we have the perovskite generator and then we have the silicon generator. And so what that enables our customers to do is to get about a 30% improvement in the performance of the module. And that's significant. And what that translates to for developers is, okay, the cost that we sell, the price that we sell this technology for enables a relatively flat cost per watt for the module. So if you were paying, you know, 35 cents a watt or 30 cents a watt for a module with a Kalux top glass or active glass, as we call it, you'll still pay between 30 and 35 cents a watt. So that doesn't change. What we've done is basically increase the power so much that per watt, that cost remains flat. And so that enables a lower installed cost because per watt for our customers, our developer customers, residential customers, doesn't matter. So we have more power being generated on the same form factor. So that's why you see this cost per watt reduction. It's about 10 to 11%. And if you're a project developer, you can look at your, what we refer to as levered returns. So every project is built with a component of debt. If you assume levered returns, it's about a 36% improvement in the levered returns for a power project. And that's very meaningful. And when we work with the industry, we don't just work with module companies who are direct customers. We work with project developers. In fact, we work with some of the biggest in the world. And uh, we, we educate them about what this technology can mean for them. And they've started their modeling. In fact, we have pilot projects this year with some of these massive developers to begin to really characterize this technology in their power plants. And it's a, it's a long road in solar, but it's one that if you're disciplined and you're focused, um, you can really create a program that customers can get their head behind and get their head around rather 
and begin to really look at deploying this technology at scale. And I should highlight that the site that I'm speaking to you from now is our uh, manufacturing location just in the LA metro area where we're ramping to 100 megawatts. We have about 50 megawatts of nameplate today. We'll take it to 100 megawatts by the end of this calendar year. And uh, after our product is qualified, the site is sold out for the first 18 months. So we've got orders and we're looking at expansions in the US as well as in Asia to support the balance of our customers. So uh, momentum has been great. Uh, we've, we've seen a, a very positive reception in the marketplace for our technology. And we're going to continue to work those relationships and ensure that we can deliver the best product we can. That's great. That's a great summary. Scott, can I just have you go back? Like you, you mentioned the, the, the nanomaterials that are a key part of the Calyx solution. Can you talk, right, this is an objection you're probably going to hear, um, access to materials or potential environmental issues or occupational concerns. Is there anything particularly unique that Calyx needs to, needs to share as they come to market? Well, I think that the materials that we use are commodified materials. And so you can find them readily in just about every geography in the world. And so when we think about international expansion, that gives us a pretty broad ecosystem to play in. We're not reliant on polysilicon that's produced in northern China, as an example. And we're not reliant on rare earth materials. Um, so that's an important dimension of it, too. Now, with any industrial product, of course, and your background being in industrial hygiene, um, it, it's a very, it's an important consideration. You can think about what we do today as akin to like a semiconductor manufacturing plant, mm -hmm. right? I mean, yeah. there are obviously hazardous materials, but you have to manage them correctly. And keep in mind, we're starting up in California, which has probably the most stringent standards in the country. Maybe Massachusetts and California are tie in that sense. But if we can manufacture in California, we can manufacture anywhere. Um, because we do adhere to these very strict standards and inspection guidelines and air quality pieces. Now, I could say this is that our waste is minimal. Um, so we've designed our process such that we are not wasting materials. We're recycling materials as much as we possibly can. And so the net effect is that we're able to, one, have a process that uses low temperatures. So we're not consuming a lot of energy in the production of these materials. Um, at the same time, um, we have industrial controls in place and tools that will ensure that we're not wasting materials or contaminating the environment in any way. Great, great. That's helpful. Thanks for that re response. So let's get right to that getting to market. You know, Calyx has this technology and uh, you're, you're producing at a target of 100, 100 megawatts. So this is not benchtop stuff. We're going, we're going to market with this. How, so how do you accelerate the, uh, the growth in the marketplace? Is, is it getting to those large panda manufacturers and adding this technology? Or is it, is, is it talking to, to, as you said, the developers and having them insist that that technology be, be included in the install? Can you give us an idea of how you intend to go to market? Yeah, there's a lot of things we do in parallel. And uh, part of it too is also improving the reliability and durability of perovskites, which have been historically a, a challenge. You know, when perovskites were first invented or discovered, they would last maybe minutes from the time that you produced this really cool nanomaterial to the time that you tested it. And some early labs, they had designated corridors where only the grad students can go from point A to point B uh, because it just, they had to rush to get these things measured before they decayed. Um, since then, we stopped measuring lifetime of perovskites in minutes, and now we talk about years. And so a big piece of this is demonstrating to customers that, look, this is not just a very powerful solar, solar cell. 
it's also a durable solar cell. And so we have to partner and we do partner with third-party laboratories and, re- and national research labs to show how these perform. And our view as well is the proof is in the pudding. You have to provide these modules to customers and let them test them. And so we provide our active glass to customers and they put it through their own regimen of reliability, durability tests so that they're convinced of the merits of the technology. Now we haven't crossed all those bridges yet. I want to be clear about that. But our view has been we're standing up this production location, not just to produce modules and get them out in the market. It's a big part of our research and development effort because you have to be at scale in order to properly develop and test these materials. Uh, You learn a lot of things when you're working in the lab with small substrates. There's no doubt about it. But it's a different world when you take that one square centimeter device and you try to make something that's one meter by two meter. Um, There's challenges that uh, you can't see in a laboratory that you see only when you're at scale. And you have to look at pathways where you can use that manufacturing pilot line capacity to inform your research and development work. So when we discover issues on the production scale side of things, we have to be able to bring that back into R&D. And that's why I was adamant that we kept our research and development in the same building as we do our pilot line. They're literally 10 yards from each other and they're all in the same place. So when we see a problem on the large tool sets, well, grab that scientist and say, hey, look, we're seeing this. What do you think? How can we troubleshoot this? And go through our five whys methodology, go through our fishbone diagrams, go through our what we call a Calux operating system to really understand and diagnose these issues so we can then take it to the next level. And the other piece of what we do as well is we were very early in engaging customers about, hey, why don't we start some testing, even on smaller scale? And we went from the one square centimeter size to 256 to 400 square centimeter sizes. And that looked like more like a solar module. And I'm not sure if this podcast is video, but this is what we, this was an early version of what we were doing. And we were providing these samples to customers. I have my fingerprints all over this, so it looks terrible. But you can see the size that we're talking about. It starts to look like a solar yeah, panel. It's about uh, 10 by 10. Yeah, eight it's about eight by eight. By eight. eight yeah. by eight inches, eight. okay, yeah. It's yeah. opaque and kind of a uh, amber color to it with yeah. some grid lines through it. Right, and you can see through it. So you can put a solar cell behind it. And that would be that really, really be the architecture of our product. And so we started providing customers these samples. And bringing customers into the development was very important for us because you get voice of the customer, you get direct feedback. And you and look, it's not always rosy. I mean, there's mm-hmm. problems that you discover when you do that, but you need to have that market perspective in order to shape your product. And those customers have now become our early adopters. And so when we launch our beta product this year, they'll be able to test it and they understand who we are. We understand how who they are. And that relationship certainly helps when we're bringing a new product out. And the other side of it too, is that you have to be active. You have to be active in working with the downstream and educating mm-hmm. them. And most importantly, in solar, um, we can't forget that we need to work with the financial partners of these developers as well so they understand the technology and be very transparent about, hey, here's the gaps, here's our plan to fix it, and getting feedback on that. Yeah, yeah. And, and Scott, respecting client confidentiality, who are the, if you can mention some names, that'd be great. But if the, the, the type of who, who's, who's the target, who's, who's a good customer to, to help you develop the Calyx mission and, and get the products tested? 
Well, one that's public is Reliance Industries, and Reliance Industries is also an investor in the company. Reliance had acquired REC, which I worked with REC many years in different areas of their business. And so they were, they're our first. They were the first one that that uh, that jumped on board and have been very supportive of our efforts. They were investors in the company, as I mentioned, um, led our Series A1 and participated in our A3. And likewise, we're working very closely with them. Unfortunately, the others are confidential, yeah. but we have a, a, you would say, more than a handful of tier Bloomberg tier ones and literally more than a handful of Bloomberg tier ones that are our other customers. Great, great. Well, Scott, we, we try to keep these conversations to 15 to 20 minutes so people can, with a, with a short commute, can listen to the whole podcast. Is there anything that we haven't discussed that you want to make sure that is communicated about Kalux and where they are, where you're headed? I, I think that you know we as Americans can be very proud of the fact that we have now scale manufacturing capacity in the U.S. and driving this forward. And Kalux is proud to be at the forefront of that. Uh, we have an opportunity to take a bite at the apple yet again. The solar Gen 2 kind of slipped through our fingers, I think, in, in this country. And now we have an opportunity with PV3.0 to reassert our leadership position. And we're very proud to be in the vanguard of that. Yeah. And I, I noted in, in prepping for this conversation today, the, the work that you personally did to help educate the infrastructure and, and drive some of the changes that are promoting the adoption of uh, forward-thinking technology. So, so Scott, thanks for that work. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Good. So on behalf of uh, Energy Matters to you, and with a special thanks to AWE New England, want to thank uh, Scott Graybeal from Kalux for being with us. As always, there's work to be done. Go make a difference. Support for Energy Matters to you comes from National Grid, Raytheon, Siemens, Keurig Dr. Pepper, Eversource, Mitsubishi Electric Train HVAC US, Honeywell, Skillings & Sons LLC, AHA Consulting Engineers, QGM Consulting, B2Q Associates, Energy Group, Lidos, Conservation Solutions Corporation, Energy Management Associates, and FMC Technologies. Do you or someone you know want to be featured on Energy Matters to You? We're seeking professionals in the energy industry to offer insight, strategy, and solutions. For more information, visit aeenewengland.org slash podcasts. For more information on the Association of Energy Engineers New England chapter, visit aeenewengland.org.